just after 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and that must mean it's time again for Money Management with Opus 111 Group's Mike Mail. Here's Mike. Good morning. It's 9 Pacific. I'm Mike Mail with the Opus 111 Group. We're here to talk with you on Money Management about the markets and the economy and hopefully give you some insights into what's been going on these last couple of weeks, which has been rather interesting, I think is a good word. Uh, certainly the last two weeks have provided us a little bit of uh, difference in terms of how the markets op- have been operating. But uh, let's start with the data dump before we get into the uh, meat of the show, as it were. The Dow closed yesterday up 575 points. That put it at 33,212. S&P rose to 4,158. NASDAQ up at 12,171. The uh, Russell 2000 finished the week at 1887. Gold settled at 1853. Announced we had silver at $22.01. Crude ended at 114.48 a barrel. The 10-year Treasury at 2.74%. And soft white wheat ticked up to $11.50 a bushel. Now, as of the, these numbers yesterday, the Dow is down 13% from its high, nine, the S&P down 9%, and the Nasdaq still being beaten up about the head and shoulders is down 23%. However, a week ago, the Dow was down 15.4%, the S&P about to uh, end the world, according to the pundits, it was down 20.9% and the NASDAQ down 30%. So, one of my themes in this program is attitude is everything. And I want to talk with you as we get into the program about uh, attitude in these kinds of markets and how you can protect yourself from doing silly stuff while taking advantage of what's going on out there. Now, Friday, this coming week, we'll get the May jobs report, and that showed unemployment last time at 3.6%. And, you know, one thing I think we've seen here is uh, that the cure for high well, or low prices is, in this case, more high prices. You're seeing gas uh, drop off, housing prices starting to drop, uh, prices for cars starting to drop off because folks say, hey, I'm not going to pay that. And if they're not going to pay it, nobody's going to sell it to them, and so prices start to back off. Now, Thursday, we had the GDP come out, uh, gross domestic product. It's the second of three reports. That's how they do it. And uh, it was revised down just a touch from the month ago. It was off at 1.5% annually, and no negative market reaction because, quite frankly, the GDP data are all trailing indicators. It's old news. It's like reading a history book. Here's what happened. Okay, fine. You know, the slight downward revision to the number, mostly due to uh, further downward revi- downward revisions for inventories and home building, and that those upset, offset, excuse me, an upward revision for consumer spending. So, do the economic data mean we're heading into a recession? No. Consumer spending up 3.1% annually. Uh, business fixed investment up 9.2% annually, and home building about flat, but up a little bit, all increased in the first quarter, which is not something you see in a recession. And perhaps more importantly, these three things make up what's called the core GDP, and that was up at a 3.9% annual rate. Now, it's true the Fed has a lot more work to do before monetary policy is tight enough to, I think, cause a recession. It, it, what we think of it is, is that they're 
not tight, but less loose. And uh, <clears throat> I think it's rare to say that uh, based on the numbers I gave you just a couple minutes ago, the market seems to have regained its footing this week. Folks are hoping inflation is starting to peak and there's good value to be found at these levels. Oh, yes, they are. Um, you know, tech still dominates the market, both numerically. It remains the biggest weighting in the indices and psychologically as well. And despite all this aggressive liquidation that's been going on these last couple of months, folks still own a ton of it. Now, on Wednesday this past week, stocks rose uh, when the Fed uh, announced uh, their notes of their meetings in May. And it showed that they're prepared to raise rates even further than the market had anticipated. The Fed minutes said, and I'm quoting, most participants judge that 50 basis points, that's one half of 1%, increases in the target range would be appropriate at the next couple meetings. And they also indicated that a, uh, quote, restrictive stance of policy may well become appropriate depending on the evolving economic outlook and risk to the outlook, unquote. <laughs> Basically, that's all code for higher rates. Peter Bookvar, he's chief investment officer at Bleakley Advisory. He, uh, he had this comment about that. He said, there weren't any surprises, which is why we probably bounced. And even after the news hit, we've all been all over the place. You know, there's nothing new there, but the markets didn't want to hear anything more hawkish than the hawkishness they'd already laid out, unquote. And that pretty much was the result. Market move also, mood sorry, was also lifted this past week on signs of health among department stores and other retailers, especially after a week ago when Walmart and uh, Target were beaten up so badly. Macy's was the latest to uh, shut down the naysayers. They had strong growth in earnings and raised their earnings guidance. Nordstrom's had some good data, Dollar Tree, Dollar General, um, both up uh, well double-digit percentages. It's the, the inventory troubles that uh, Walmart got, Target got squished with uh, due to supply chain issues and so on. I, I wouldn't, uh, how might I say, get rid of those companies just based on those little bits of data, but it certainly beat their stocks up for a while. Now, jumping over to economic news, you know, there aren't enough workers to go around. The, the job market continues very strong. This is perhaps a, a little bit far-fetched, but... The Wall Street Journal uh, this past week recently mentioned that babysitters, I'm not exactly sure where, but babysitters are now able to charge $30 an hour. I think I have a side gig I need to pick up. Well, why is that? Real easy. Because they can't, you know, and uh, so we'll see. But uh, the jobless rate is near a 50-year low, and I don't know how else you could justify that kind of money for... Uh, a child-watching service. Nonetheless, um, <clears throat> orders for durable goods, a very sharp recovery. Durable goods, things meant to last more than three years. Cars, airplanes, uh, big stuff, big ticket items, as they say. They're up 67% uh, since uh, the April 2020 bottom. And they're even up 14.5% uh, since uh, the uh, pre-pandemic high in Feb 20. And we think that this business investment, which is up, as I mentioned earlier in uh, the, the data, will remain a tailwind, a positive tailwind through this year as companies continue to reopen and recover from the government shutdowns. Retail sales, woo, yeah, boy, I'll tell you, that's what uh, really made a difference this past week, up 28.8% versus where they were in Feb 20. That's just 26 months. And... Retail sales were up only 6.7% in the 
more than two years before COVID even started. So, yeah, people are spending rather significantly. It's like four times the normal price. Now, on not so good news, new home sales fell for the fourth month in a row in April. As I was saying, those high prices are starting to uh, knock off the sales pace. It was only the sales pace was only a half, one and a half percent above the bottom set two years ago. You know, and there's a thought that says out there about these um, real estate prices that they can't contain market information, but the listing prices are revealing about psychology. In January 21, the 30-year mortgage was two mortgage was six two point six five percent average new home price four hundred one thousand seven hundred. Today, that 30-year mortgage rate is five point three, average price five hundred seventy thousand three hundred. If you're putting twenty percent down, that's a ninety-six percent increase in your monthly payment from twelve ninety-four to twenty-five thirty-three. Yeah, that's going to shut down a lot of buying. And the median price of a new home in the U.S., 6.7% higher than the median household income. That's really going to put a break on things. And it's just, you know, finally translating into lower demand. It's cycles, folks. It's nothing. Don't read anything bad into it. That's just how markets work. You know, they go up until they get to the top, and then they start sliding backward. Now, uh, just a couple of words on inflation. You may have heard of it. It's kind of been in the news a little bit. Um... But it isn't hurting things uniformly across the economy, and it certainly isn't affecting every individual the same across the economy. Because many businesses in the service sector, especially those that travel, leisure, hospitality, they're looking for a strong summer. And that's certainly been paid up, being played out based on what the data is so far. There's this thing, well, actually, this came out Friday. The Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. That's abbreviated as the PCE, thank heavens. Uh, that's what the Fed uses primarily to help measure their work against inflation. And inflation, as measured by that index, rose 6.3% from a year earlier. That was down 6.6% uh, from in March. And that was one of the big catalysts to kick off the big move in the market yesterday. Now, it still remains at its fastest pace since uh, 82, despite the slight deceleration, but down is down. And the, see, the different, the, there's the CPI, Consumer Price Index, that measures inflation from consumers. This PCE, it comes from businesses. And the Fed thinks that the PCE is a broader-based measure of what's happening with prices on a whole variety of levels. That's <clears throat> Excuse me, that's why they uh, use it for their uh, targets, if you will. Now, inflation expectations have cooled. They've dropped in the last couple months, believe it or not. Now, the bond market's already adjusted downward. Uh, downward is expectation for the high point in Fed funds rate. The uh, market, and this is, you know, all the bond traders in the world coming up with this number, so it's just a consensus, but nonetheless... The bond market expects the Fed to raise its target rate to a minimum of about three percent a year, uh, a, a year, excuse me, to about three percent a year or so from now, instead of three and a half by the end of next year. So lower. That's a pretty good percentage drop too, by the way. In the absence of uh, any of those f so-called further uh, stimulus payments, and thanks to surging tax revenues, the Fed's decision to raise rates and shrink its balance sheet. I think that all 
but ensures that there will be at least no further fuel poured on the inflation fire that started about a year ago. Now, in that regard, it may be said that our current episode will, in fact, likely to prove to be transitory. Now, I'm not going to say how long is transitory, but in other words, not forever and always, amen, and not necessarily continuing to go up. But since we also know that inflation responds to excess money, we're likely to see relatively high inflation for a while because there's a lot of it still slushing around out there. Now, how high, exactly for how long, I don't know. And if anybody is saying definitively in their mind what they think it is, back up at high rates of speed because they don't have any idea either. But at least we can now see some light at the end of the inflation tunnel, and I don't think it's the super cheap. Now, to my mind, I think this seems optimistic. If the bond market's right, then the economy's unlikely to suffer a whole lot more, and the stock market correction that's been underway uh, may be actually coming to an end. I found this picture. I wish I could show it to you. It's pretty cute. It shows uh, the difference in the cu- uh, of a, as a, uh, an example of inflation. It's a picture of a hamburger. Uh, and the difference of price from April of 2021 till April of this year, and how much the prices have changed. Now, for instance, and, you know, this is something you don't really think about, but your hamburger roll is up 10% in cost. Lettuce is up 13% in cost. Tomatoes, still what a deal, up just four-tenths of a percent. Bacon, better not have bacon, it's up 17.7%. The ground beef is up 15%, and your uh, secret sauce up 9.2%. Holy camoly, it's everywhere. You see that it, it's pervasive. It's insidious. It's called the hidden tax. Now, in today's world, it's not so hidden. But the reality is is that it, it goes everywhere, and that's why it's uh, not exactly to your benefit to have high rates of inflation re- uh, controlling your investments. Now, as far as uh, kind of looking forward, John Stoltzfus, he's uh, Oppenheimer's chief investment strategist. He said that nasty sell-offs are not uncommon in times of Fed tightening. And that he said the market appears to be way oversold. In other words, oversold is a term that means, well, basically what it says. We, you know, you push the stocks down so far that it's just silly. And I think that that's certainly some of what we saw this week with People just saying, hey, come on, we can, these are some good companies. we got to take advantage of these prices. And, and so, uh, and I'm quoting him, he says, We remain positive on stocks, favoring cyclicals over the defensive and profitable technology companies whose services and products are deeply embedded in the lives of both business and the consumer. There's got to be an easier way to say that. Anyway, we look for the economy and markets to work their way out of the woods, from a period of high anxiety and crisis. I certainly hope that's a sooner-than-later deal. Now, the good news is that while the tide's moving away from some of those businesses that were helped during COVID, you know, like Peloton and Clorox even, and some other companies, that uh, a lot of the paper goods companies, the tide is in turn moving towards some of the businesses that were beaten up by the COVID. And, you know, those, again, hospitality um, travel, those kinds of things. Now, again, this seems to be, in our mind, to be consistent with the, our view that we're not heading into a recession this year. While goods have slowed down, but services have picked up. And so, in turn, it also means that stocks could move 
substantially higher from these levels before the next recession begins. But different sectors will be taking the lead versus what we saw you know, a year or two ago. Now, uh, here's another one of those tattoos I'd like you to have put someplace in this kind of a market. Price is not the same as value, more often than not. In other words, what we've seen here in the market these last, well, couple weeks is that, you know, look at Amazon. I, I mean, well, Walmart, Target. These are gigantor companies that have significant effects all throughout the economy. And the fact that their stock prices got beaten up, did it really make the company less valuable? Once again, this is the great dichotomy in the stock market. People will buy shares till the cows come home at higher levels, but God forbid they come down 30%. I can't buy that. Oh, no, it's down. It's cheaper. It won't cost me as much. So try to, try to intuit a little uh, logical thinking into overcoming some of those emotions. Now, volatility which the media seems to think is a bad thing, it only reflects price changes. That's it. You know, it volatiles up, it volatiles down. Did it change the value of the company? No. More often than not, it... Now, I'm not suggesting that if they have bad earnings or something goes off the rails in terms of what their products are, okay, I get that. But all things else being equal, no. Now, J.P. Morgan, the number one bank in the country, is, is up about 7.3% earlier this week because they offered some updated guidance uh, during a presentation they made and painting a better picture for national economic prospects. And, of course, they said they think they expect to benefit from loan growth and rising economic interest rates. Excuse me, rising interest rates. Chief Financial Officer Jeremy Barnum had this to say. He said, big picture the near-term credit outlook, especially for the U.S. consumer, remains strong, unquote. And Dr. Jeremy Siegel, he of the Wharton School of Business and also author of Stocks for the Long Run, which, again, I would offer as a seed book for anyone who is interested in investing. I don't know how many editions he's had, but it's, it's really easy to read and real straightforward. Anyway. Dr. Siegel had this to say. He said uh, that the market was, was within 5% of the bottom as earnings drove the sell-off. And uh, <laughs> he must have had some tea leaves going on because it certainly seemed to work out that way uh, uh, after Wednesday. You know, it has been a, a tough week or a couple of weeks in a lot of ways. Um, it is beyond the purview of this program to talk about things other than financial markets. But the world has always been faced with challenges and tragedies. You know, in today's social media world, you know about stuff happening in places you never heard of that you didn't even know you were supposed to be concerned about. I'm not making light of it. I mean, that's just the reality. But the trouble is, is that when folks make forecasts based on snap emotional judgments in the middle of all these extreme events, they forget that society, our society, is generally highly incentivized to solve the problems and to move forward. I mean, think about some of the uh, challenges in the past that, well, quite frankly, you'd have to look up in many cases to even remember. 
you know, today's crises invariably become yesterday's news. Not only will you not be worried about this stuff 10 years from now, I guess I added, you probably won't even remember it. When was the last time you actually thought about when the markets went down 20% over six months in 2011 because of all those goofy guys in South Southern Europe, you know, Greece was going to go out of take the entire uh, world economy down, Greece with its uh, economy similar to that of Atlanta, and uh, S&P downgrading the debt of the U.S. Treasury. Well, if you were to go back and look at the news of the time, you know, uh, diving off a cliff would have been the quickest answer, right? No. Well, nobody remembers that to any extent, and that's my point. So uh, try not to let the news, as I've said many times, Get in the way of your rational thinking when it comes to managing your money. Now, there's a guy named Bob Farrell. I don't know how long many of you folks have followed investing, but Mr. Farrell was with Merrill Lynch when it was still Merrill Lynch and not part of the bank. And uh, he was a, uh, well, highly regarded uh, analyst. And he came up with 10 market rules, oh, God, I don't know, probably 30 years ago by now. And I just want to share a few of them because it just proves that the right way to invest is not based on current market conditions. In no particular order, he said, excesses in one direction, well, they lead to opposite excesses in the other direction. Hmm. And he said, there's no new eras. Excesses are never permanent. Well, there you are. <laughs> oh, boy. The public buys the most at the top and the least at the bottom. Just what I was carrying out about just a minute ago. Fear and greed are way stronger than long-term resolve. That's why you need a strategy. That's why you need to stick with it. Because if you're just going to go and say, oh, yeah, I'll do that when the time comes. No, you won't. You have to follow follow your map. Now, when all the experts, and this is still Bob Farrell, when all the experts and forecasts agree, something else is going to happen. Yes, sir. And finally, Bull markets are more fun than bear markets. I will drink copiously to that comment. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. Now, one thing about these kinds of markets, and especially you saw this, well, we saw it a lot in 2008 and nine regarding retirement plans, you know, where you, your money is taken out every couple, 401k, 403b, TSB, whatever. Investment contributions tend to rise and fall with markets. They peak at the highs and dry up during bear markets. Again, going back to the buy the most at the high, least at the low. Now, as you would expect, if you invest more at high prices and not at low prices, your wealth accumulation over, a, 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 well, however long you're putting money aside is going to be a lot less than what it would have been otherwise. Um, you see, if if you, how would I say this? You can't let the market dictate your retirement. This is a you know, few months, maybe a year. And you've got to keep putting the money in because you're buying low and, and hopefully selling at higher prices off into the distance. Don't stop contributing just because the markets are off. That would be equivalent to just shooting yourself in both feet and maybe a couple other places as well. Because, see, markets when they're weak are actually boosting the ability to create long-term wealth. But again, only if you continue to make contributions. You can't sit on the sidelines and say, oh yeah, if I would, I'd be in there, if only. No, if only isn't going to make any money. 
because dollar cost averaging only works if you stick with the plan. Now, one thing that I find interesting is that even with a lost decade, that would have been the 2000s when the market was basically flat over the 10 years, and at no extra charge, two 50% crashes from 1980 to 2008, the stock market was still up 10.7% per year. Now, why would you not want to ride through those kinds of things to get those kinds of numbers? Oh, no, let me get 2% on my bank if I can find a bank is only going to give me that. No, that's just silly. You know, it's always important to understand long-term returns include both the wonderful bull markets and those not-so-wonderful bear markets. Because you can't have one without the other. You know, yin and yang and plus and minus and all that kind of stuff. It's also important to understand you cannot hedge out every risk in your portfolio. If you're in the market, you are subject to what's called systemic risk. That means whatever the market's going to do, to some extent, you're going to do it too. Up or down. And you can, again, you can't have one without the other. It's uh, Risk can change forms, but it never goes away completely, ever. You know, there's some very simple hedges you can do that don't require uh, an MBA to figure out. If you hold more liquid assets, things that you can immediately, readily turn into cash, but if you can hold more liquid assets like cash, that'll help dampen some of the volatility and give you some uh, the proverbial dry powder to make investments when you see fit. Another one could be uh, setting your right asset allocation ahead of time. Once again, if you have a strategy, you'll have one of those that you'd be comfortable with no matter what the markets are doing to you. And finally, saving more money to give yourself a bigger margin of safety. Now, these aren't all some big, high-powered, uh, like I said, hedges you can <laughs> tweet about, about, oh, look what I'm doing with my money. No. But it works really well for a lot of people and has for many years. Now, what, what, what is the essence of successful long-term stock investing? I think it has a lot to do with, there's this practice called rationality under uncertainty. Remember, I've said many times that the, the market's, you know, if you're in the market, you can be certain that there will be uncertainty. What does that mean? You know, to me, it means basing your investment responses on your strategy as opposed to a daily view of the economy and markets. That's how rationality begins and ends. You know, it's just hard to do. I understand that. But, uh, you know, your, your emotions are what drives a lot of what goes on in the markets. Um, in, well, in terms of how you do, quote unquote. And that's why I say attitude is everything. And so let me uh, segue over into that. I am a strong believer in this. I've seen it my whole career, both uh, from the advisor point as well as the client side. And how you look at the markets, how you... Look at uh, your structure and your confidence. It's all based on your attitude. Now, since March 31st of this year, according to the Investment Company Institute, they, ma they monitor mutual funds and ETFs. 
investors have taken out more than $51 billion out of stock mutual funds. Whoa, you think, my God, everybody's trying to get out. Mm, no, because that's less than one-third of 1% 1 of all the assets and stock funds. So, once again, if you've got a headline that said, oh, $51 billion out, I better get out too. Um, that's a pretty tiny line of folks that's getting out of Dodge there. So, don't let the headlines drive your investment decisions, okay? In terms of what's going on in the markets, nothing has changed, really, really. We've just moved on to a different set of things we don't know about. And so your retirement dates are still bearing down on you, or you're already there. The amount of money you need to grow and or accumulate has, if anything, gone up with inflation. And really, the only hope you have for a secure retirement or a meaningful legacy is the return you get from stocks. Now, those assets whose short to intermediate terms up and downs cannot be anticipated, much less time. So that makes it a little bit touchy for some people. But we're taking a long view here. And again, whether you're retired or no. And it all comes down to acting versus reacting. You keep your head down, continue to fund your plan. As we discussed earlier, it's about history, not headlines. This is a great time to be a mainstream stock investor for the long haul, even if just at this moment it feels like you can't see your hand in front of your face. But, you know, paying too much attention to extreme events of whatever type, wherever they are, often leads to temptation to pay a lot of money for head these hedges to protect against these low probability events. If you're trying to gauge sentiment, assess probabilities, price risk, those are three important things you can do. The trouble is, investors are as vulnerable to the filtering effect as anybody else. Now, for example, the concern regarding cable TV and mass media, and my close personal friends are there, where it should be about where the biggest biases are, not left versus right, but excitement versus coolness, maybe hysteria versus rationality. Now, when I see all this channel surfing, excuse me, when I see wind channel surfing, it's mostly a tension-grabbing waste of time. The vast majority of the 24-7 news cycle, as you all well know, is filled with a lot of nonsense, with too much hot air about with uh, superficial filler. Now, if that kind of stuff upsets you, you can change your media diet or just turn them off. But, uh, you know, this is when CNBC gets such great er uh, excuse me, ratings because everybody wants to know what to do and what's going on and, you know, these talking heads will be happy to tell you after we sell you some toothpaste. So, now th this is very important for you to understand in terms of your attitude. Emotions are more important than fundamentals in the short term. And sentiment readings that, you know, consumer sentiment says this, this buyer, uh, builder survey says that. They're more difficult to interpret than ever since it seems that anyone who wants one can, you know, get on a platform somewhere and share their opinions. And I find it interesting that about once every 10 years, people seem to forget that bubbles form and burst about once every 10 years. So, you know, when you're reading or hearing some of these news reports, put this through your filter. You, you can increase your attitude 100% by asking this. Will I still care about this a, a year from now? 
Or as uh, an anonymous baseball player once said, you know, will all the people in China worry about the results in my baseball game? Probably not too much in either regard. You know, debt removes your options, but savings add to that. Now, investors hate and the markets hate uncertainty. I can't tell you, say that enough times. And we're in a period where they don't seem to have, investors, any clear indication on what's going to happen with this push-pull between inflation and the economy. But here's the thought. You're never really going to have a clear indication. And if you do, well, <laughs> I'm not sure where you're getting your data. But projections, the, the, the forever projections that say, Okay, based on current conditions, this is what's going to happen for sure, forever. It's a hallmark of sentiment extremes, whether irrational optimism or unwarranted pessimism. Now, when the headlines zero in on what's going on in the present and, and just, you know, extrapolate it out endlessly, extreme nearsightedness is dominant. In other words, you're just looking at today and thinking nothing's going to change, good or bad. And we definitely think that's the case today. Now, it's possible some changes come to pass, and they may have a big effect in the distant future. But such developments tend to fade into the long-term backdrop quickly, as we discussed earlier. They aren't the cyclical drivers creating demand for stocks over the next 3 to 30 months. That's the most critical consideration for when it comes to portfolio decisions, because that's what the market is looking out, is looking out 3 to 30 months. Now, on the unwarranted pessimism side, of which I think there is way too much, my opinion, uh, think about 2020. The pandemic was ushering in a permanent new normal. I've never seen any of these uh, new normals that these various guys have talked about over the years ever come to pass, but I guess they're, uh, anyhow. So new normals are, maybe last about a week. Business, leisure, travel, never going to return. Remote working was going to be it forever. And no more handshakes, by the way. No, just uh, hip checks or elbow checks or whatever. Now, unless you were in this business or investing 40 years ago, you have no real free, uh, frame of reference for what's happening now. And I think, really, that that's made all this feel a lot worse to most investors. They've never seen the movie before, and I'm not making that lightly. So what I would suggest is read fewer forecasts and more history. That would be what you would use to help make, excuse me, help you make better choices. Now, speaking of history, the 1981-82 recession, and I was present for that dude, was a long and nasty one. The unemployment rate was at 10.8%. That would be 17 million folks unemployed here today. And here we've got more jobs than we've got people unemployed. So pretty much the other end, I think you could agree. Now the inflation, excuse me, the, the last time we had inflation at this level was 40 years ago. In 1979, it was 11.35%. That's for the year. In 1980, January 80, it was at 13.91%. Mr. Reagan got into office in January of 1981, and the Dow closed at 950 that day. Um, it's somewhat higher than that now. And by the end of 81, 
investors were quote-unquote thrilled to see the annual inflation rate at just 8.9%, because that was the lowest inflation figure since 1977. Perceptions are pretty much the key here, aren't they? Now, we've worked our way out of a whole lot worse inflation trouble before. We're going to work our way out of this thing, too. You know, you know, this is why you create a financial strategy to decide what actions you'll take or not in different market situations. Your investment, successful investment strategy should include getting yourself ready for a number of different scenarios so you don't mess up and overreact when things don't go as planned. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't try to time the markets. The closest thing you should do to timing the markets is dollar cost averaging like you do in your retirement plan. But to paraphrase Peter Lynch, the best money manager I've ever heard of, you're never going to hear a hospital wing named after a market timer. You know, we're not, we, as your advisor, are not going to put your future on red or black. Investing is only gambling if you don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. Look at those meme stocks. You know, you know as the market turns back up, Who's going to make money are not those who get in after the turn. Money's going to be made by those who were in before the turn, or, dare I say, who never left. Nobody rings a bell at the bottom. When bad markets turn around, they do so quickly and with a vengeance. Perhaps as what we've seen last week. I don't know, but it certainly turned quickly, didn't it? That train leaves the station in a big hurry, and it does not back up for anybody. You know, the hard part is that much of the gain that comes in the first 90 days is while folks are the undecided just kind of walk around going, hmm, what do I do now? Well, I hope that, you know, stay invested, stay with the markets, don't let the headlines drive you away. And finally, because of this weekend, uh, I hope you have a great time and, and out with your friends and family, but please remember what Memorial Day is all about. Friends, absent friends who won't be home to help us celebrate. Semper Fi, boys. This is Mike Mayo. I'm with the Opus 111 Group. You've been listening to Money Management. We'll be back next Saturday with more about the markets and the economy, and I hope you'll be back then. Join us again next Saturday morning at the same time for the financial insight, opinion, and perspective of Money Management with Mike Mayo. Have a question or comment? You can reach Mike at our website, opus111group.com.